This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. We've talked about the dream of having the power of shapeshifting before, right? Well, in today's episode, we're going to talk about actual shapeshifting, real life changing your body. My name is Alex, I use they them pronouns, and this is Stride with Pride. Hello everyone and welcome back to Stride with Pride. I hope you've had a fantastic however long it's been since you last listened to the last episode. On this week's episode we're going to talk a bit about medical transition. So first I just want to note that medical transition isn't a part of everyone's journey but for the people who want to have that as part of your journey today we're going to be discussing that with a very special guest. So why don't you introduce yourself? Hi there, my name is George. I'm a 27-year-old transgender person. I use the pronouns they, them, and identify as non-binary. Awesome. So why don't we start with you telling us a bit about your personal journey with medical transition? All right. So to start off with, I knew that I wanted to go on hormones. And so I made an appointment with my GP, but my GP didn't actually know where to refer me to. And so he tried referring me to the hospital. They declined it because they at the Waikato hospital don't take trans people for hormones. And so I kind of got messed around for quite a while until I found the local queer youth group where I met someone who told me that I could go to the sexual health clinic for hormones. And so I called up the Waikato Sexual Health Clinic and they told me that they are the place to go for hormones. Um, And so I went there. I met with the doctors there. They're really kind and accepting. They explained to me exactly what hormones could do for my body, what they couldn't do. They helped hook me up with a counselor to get a psych sign-off just to make sure there's no mental health concerns that could be worsened by initiating hormone therapy. And so after going through all of that, I got to sign a form for informed consent, which meant I acknowledge that I'm an adult and I know what these hormones will do to my body and I want to take them. And so I got my first prescription for hormones and that was really exciting. Uh, And I made an appointment with the nurse at my GP to do the injection and then the nurse refused to do it. And that was quite upsetting because they didn't actually have a legitimate reason not to do it. They just said, oh no, I haven't done that before. I don't I don't want to do that right now. And so that was very distressing. And I ended up just doing the shot myself because that's a thing that people are allowed to do. But it was definitely a hurdle that I shouldn't have had to go through just to get the hormones that I'd been prescribed already. So once I got started on hormones, I kept going to the sexual health clinic. They do regular blood tests to make sure the the hormone levels are within the healthy range that it should be and make sure that there's no other things going on with the bloods. Um, And so I had a really good first couple of years on hormones with the sexual health clinic. They monitored it really well, and I was really happy with all of the changes that happened. Uh, But then I wanted to get a mastectomy, which is where they remove the breasts. And so I asked sexual health clinic for a referral for surgery, and it was declined. 
And so then I waited a year and asked for a referral again. And this time I got an appointment with a surgeon. And so that was the first hurdle done. Um, and I met with the surgeon and explained, you know, what I needed. They explained what procedure they recommended for my body. And then they submitted the forms to see if I would actually be approved for surgery. And we didn't think the chances were very high, but I actually got super incredibly lucky and was accepted for surgery. And so I was able to get a double mastectomy through the public health system. And that uh, was amazing. I am so lucky that I was able to get that. Uh, and then after that, I was able to get a hysterectomy through the public health system as well. Strangely enough, it was easy for me to get that. Often people have difficulty because it does permanently remove your ability to have biological children but as I'd already been on hormones I'd already been through that discussion and decided what I wanted to do in regards to that and so strangely enough it, the referral for histo went straight through and I got my hysterectomy healed from that really well um, and so then I asked to be put on the waiting list to get genital reconstruction and so the sexual health clinic helped me get on that list they filled out all the special forms and everything I had to get a letter from a psychiatrist as well as a psychologist just to get on the waiting list and then I was told that given the amount of surgeries they were funding at the time I could be waiting up to 38 years for surgery uh, but they've reevaluated the funding for those surgeries and have increased it so there is no longer an exact time limit on how long the wait is, but it should hopefully be within about five years or so. Um, and so that's where I'm at today. Today is actually the anniversary of me starting on hormones. Congrats. I've been on, <laughs> thank you. I've been on hormones for seven years now, and it's it's been amazing. It's been life-changing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your personal story. I'm sure that was really helpful for some people to hear a bit about someone who's gone through it. So why don't we continue by talking a bit about what is available in terms of hormones? Yeah, so there's this really cool thing called puberty blockers that one can take when they are about to start puberty or when they're only partly through puberty, and it will actually pause puberty right where it's at and so then the person will stop experiencing the changes that their body was putting them through and they can then have time to decide if they want to go on to hormones later on or if they are actually happy with continuing with the puberty that their body was going to put them through on its own and so there's no permanent effects of puberty blockers you can stop taking them and your puberty will just pick right back up where it left off or you can stop taking them and switch to um, hormone therapy where your body will take a different direction with puberty so they're really awesome thing that we have available for young people so that they don't have to experience the distress of going through the wrong puberty. They don't have to experience physical changes that are permanent and can't be changed with hormones or surgery. Uh, so it's a really, really amazing option that we have for those who have not started or are only partway through puberty. And then for the actual hormones, there is testosterone, which is 
a hormone that most what we call biological males have a uh, large amount of. That's the hormone that is dominant in their endocrine system, whereas for what we call biological females, estrogen is the dominant hormone. So with testosterone, if you're assigned female at birth, you can take it and it will masculinize your body. So some of the ways uh, it will affect your hair, you will grow more body hair, you will grow facial hair, and your hairline might recede depending on your genetics. All of this is based on your genetics. So if you want to know kind of how you will look, look at your closest biological relatives that have that hormone dominant endocrine system, and you'll get kind of an idea of what it changes to expect. If you have strong beard game in your family, then you can look forward to that. But um, if they're also bald, then you probably have to look out for that too. Uh, another change that happens is the fat in your body will redistribute from more typically feminine places to more masculine places, so maybe less on the hips and more on the belly. You will also gain more muscle. Testosterone is a steroid, so it does help you gain muscle mass, which is pretty fun. Another thing is it will affect your voice testosterone will make your voice deepen and that is a permanent change some of these changes will stop if you were to stop testosterone but your voice will stay deeper uh, you could get oily or drier skin it's puberty so it messes with your skin you can get acne uh, it will also affect your appetite can make you a lot hungrier just think typical teenage boy stuff and it can also affect your sex drive, menstruation can stop, and it can affect your genitals in ways I recommend you Google. So moving on to estrogen, the hormone that is most dominant in people we perceive as female, uh, it is often used with testosterone blockers as estrogen on its own will not be able to stop the body from producing large amounts of testosterone, whereas if a person takes testosterone, their ovaries will produce less estrogen, so all they have to take is testosterone. So with the estrogen and the testosterone blockers, a person will experience a redistribution of body fat to more typically feminine places. They'll also get more body fat just underneath the skin, which will make all of the you know sharper angles soften and look a lot more feminine and curved. The skin will also just get softer. Uh, muscle mass will decrease. You'll get a bit weaker, not have so much just natural strength without working out for it. Um, the sex drive will go down, you will produce less sperm, and your body and facial hair might lessen, it might thin out, but that's not guaranteed. That often does require uh, hair removal. The male pattern baldness might be able to be avoided. If it's already happened, it should at least slow down. Unfortunately, estrogen does not affect the voice, so if your voice has already deepened from its natural puberty, you will not experience any changes from estrogen. Uh, estrogen will also help you grow breasts. It's 
not guaranteed to be as much as the others in your family, but the results do vary. And if you are unsatisfied with the growth you get from that, you can get breast augmentation. Cool. So why don't we talk now a bit about how people can get access to these hormones? So I can explain how to get access to these within the Waikato DHB. Unfortunately, it is different depending on where you live. But in the Waikato DHB, if you are under 16 and you want to get on puberty blockers, then you go to your GP and you ask for a referral to pediatrics at the Waikato Hospital. And they will have you meet with a doctor there who... Uh, regularly meets with young transgender people and their families. They have a whole lot of information that they can provide the families about puberty blockers and what they do and all of that. And they can then prescribe puberty blockers uh, with parental consent. Then once you reach 16, you can stay with pediatrics and they can move you on to hormones, either testosterone or estrogen and you can stay with them up until you are 18. If you are 16 or older, you can go to the sexual health clinic. If you're 18 or older, you have to go to the sexual health clinic. You don't need a referral from your GP. You just call them up and make an appointment and they will see you as soon as they can. They will ask you a lot of questions in your first appointment about your medical history and Uh, just general health stuff because this is a medication that affects your health and so they have to make sure that it's not going to interfere with any other things that might be going on in your body. Once they've done blood tests and made sure that all of that is looking good, they will try and get you seen by a counsellor or other psych person just to go through how you are doing with your identity and your mental health and see if there's any way they can support you to make sure that the journey going forward can go as smoothly as possible as hormones do affect your emotions since it is puberty and so it's not that it will cause mental health problems it can just make them a bit more difficult because hormones affect emotions and so they just want to make sure that you're being fully supported throughout your transition it's not a test to see if you are trans enough they do believe that you are trans they're just making sure that you're okay so once you get signed off for that they will have you sign an informed consent form they'll make sure you've got all of the information about the effects and possible side effects of hormones that's the informed part of informed consent and then they will prescribe your hormones and they'll continue to see you regularly and continue to do blood tests regularly to make sure that your levels are within the range they want and make sure that there's nothing else weird happening because of it and once you're on a stable dose of hormones and your levels have been in the healthy range for long enough, you can be discharged from sexual health to your GP where they can continue to manage your hormones. Awesome. So why don't we talk now a bit about 
surgery and how to get them in the Waikato, of course. So in the Waikato DHB, you need a referral from a specialist for surgery. So you can get that from the Sexual Health Clinic. They count as specialists there. Uh, So the surgeries available are a mastectomy or sometimes called top surgery for transmasculine people where they remove the breasts and make a masculine appearing chest. Sometimes they uh, will remove the nipples and graft them back on smaller and in a more masculine place, uh, but that is completely up to the individual's preference. You don't actually have to keep nipples at all. Uh, then for the trans feminine people, you can get breast augmentation if you've had unsatisfactory results from hormones. They haven't. If you don't grow large enough breasts that you still experience significant distress, they will fund getting implants so that you feel better in your own body. Another set of surgeries that are available is gonad removal, so that would be either a hysterectomy or an orchidectomy, and you can get referred for that through the Sexual Health Clinic once again, and that funding is really kind of hit or miss. They will fund it a lot of the time, but sometimes they just had too many people referred for other surgeries in that funding quarter, but with all of these surgeries if you get declined the first time you just ask to be referred again because that's how the funding works sometimes there's funding available and sometimes there's not it's not very fun but we do what we can to get what we need Uh, in regards to genital surgery that is a nationally funded thing so you can be put on the waiting list through the sexual health clinic but It is a very long wait list that is currently undergoing review for how it will be managed. So hopefully it will be more clear how to actually go about getting surgery and preparing for it and uh, expected wait times. But at the moment, you can access information through the uh, Ministry of Health website to get more on the um, where that wait list is currently at. Well, thank you so much for all that wonderful information. Um, but now I think maybe it is best to talk about some of the problems you may encounter when dealing with the health system and bureaucracy of the health system. <laughs> So there are a lot of different obstacles that a person might face when trying to access healthcare within the public health system. And it's not always necessarily to do with transition-related healthcare. Sometimes it's just because you're trans. But um, starting off with trying to access transition-related care, one of the difficulties is first of all finding no finding out where to get referred to as until very recently there were no health pathways for gps to know where to refer people to when they present asking for hormones that has now been remedied recently but uh, it can still be difficult to know where to go who to ask then 
for trying to get surgery, the DHBs often put a limit on the number of surgeries that they will fund for trans people within a particular amount of time, which is something that they don't do for any other minority group. It would be pretty messed up if they decided to only do five heart surgeries a year because that's all they wanted to do. But they decide to only do a certain number of trans surgeries a year, regardless of how many people get referred for surgery. So they acknowledge that there is a need, they acknowledge that the person needs surgery, and then they refuse to fund it because they are transgender. That is discrimination, and it puts a lot of people in a very difficult place where they are forced to self-fund surgeries that cost upwards of $20,000 just to be able to feel like they can exist in their body. <laughs> so that's a major thing, is accessing surgeries and having them actually funded, because self-funding is not an option for a lot of people, and a lot of people end up taking out personal loans or taking out money uh, on their mortgage and stuff like that, and then they spend years and years paying it off instead of getting ahead in life, saving up for a house or a car, etc. So it's just one of those obstacles that really makes it difficult to get ahead in life as a trans person. Some other things that people can have difficulty accessing is voice therapy for those whose voices are not able to be changed by hormones in a way that they need. Voice therapy is funded under some DHBs, but not under others. The same with laser hair removal. Since estrogen doesn't make beard growth stop or fall out, a lot of people need hair removal to uh, make themselves be able to be perceived in a way that they're comfortable with. So sometimes winds will cover laser hair removal, but sometimes they won't. It's one of those things that you have to fight for, unfortunately. Another obstacle is that private health insurance doesn't cover any transition-related health care, so they're completely useless for us. They won't cover mastectomies, they won't cover breast augmentation, they won't cover gonad removal, and they definitely won't cover any kind of genital reconstruction surgery. So, and that's every single health insurance company in New Zealand specifically excludes transgender-related healthcare. So that's not great. Um, then the general difficulties a trans person might have in accessing just any healthcare is having the correct name appear on the medical documents. Even once you've legally changed it, they often have difficulty changing it in their systems, or you will update it with one uh, group at the hospital and then another department at the hospital doesn't get updated, and so you have to update it with each individual person, just about. Then there's the gender markers that are always printed on every medical thing, and some doctors will happily change it because of the way that you identify, and others will try and argue that you have to meet some certain criteria in order to change it, which is not true. They can change the gender marker 
just based on what you want. So the government has currently got a bill that's not yet been passed that would make it so that a person can change the gender marker on their birth certificate through a statutory declaration, just like you change your name. But currently you have to go through the courts and it is a very long, drawn out, complicated process. So it will be very good once the bill is passed so people can be acknowledged as the correct gender a lot more easily. Um, another problem that trans people can face is doctors trying to blame all of their health problems on their being transgender, even if they don't actually have anything to do with each other. And this can cause a lot of trans people to be uh, hesitant to even seek medical care at all because they fear facing discrimination. And there are also doctors who will straight up refuse care because a person is transgender. I have even experienced myself a doctor refusing to prescribe my hormones because it was for a quote-unquote sex change and that went against their personal beliefs uh, even though I'd already been on hormones for six years. So there are a lot of different obstacles a trans person might face in trying to access health care both in order to medically transition and just in order to take care of their everyday health. On a positive note, there have been a lot of working groups meeting together to work on health pathways so that all of New Zealand, regardless of your location, what DHB you're under, can be on the same page with trans healthcare so that everyone can access all of the hormones and surgeries that they need within a timely manner and without all of the stress of trying to find out how to access it. Well, that's really good to hear. So for this week's Creator Spotlight, I thought it might be a bit better to, uh, instead of spotlighting a creator per se, um, give you some resources on ways to find more information on all of the things we've talked about today. So take it away, George. I wanted to tell you about an organization called Gender Minorities Aotearoa. They are based in Wellington and they're an amazing resource for anything to do with anything queer in New Zealand. You can find their website at genderminorities.com. They have a comprehensive list of how to um, access gender-affirming healthcare in New Zealand, regardless of location. They have resources for healthcare people, for parents, for teachers, for students, for you know trans and genderqueer people themselves. It is a really amazing resource. I highly recommend checking them out. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, George, to talk about your experience and all of the wealth of knowledge that you have on the subject. I hope it's been useful for the wonderful people who are listening to this. But I hope you have a wonderful day, afternoon or evening, whenever you're listening to this. Remember, you are a wonderful, amazing person and valid no matter what you choose to do with your body. But until next time, don't forget to spread your joy. See ya! For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.